You know, at the beginning of every year, we greet each other with the phrase, Happy New Year. I know I did it this year, and other folks did it for me, but, you know, thinking about the year that we just came through in 2020, just wishing it <laughs> doesn't make it so. And uh, last year was a prime example of that. I was thinking about, as the year began in 2020, the attitudes that everybody had, you know, starting a new decade, uh, a lot of attitudes were hopeful, and then they started changing to frustrated, and then they went to devastated. And uh, so as 2021 begins, as I was praying about and just meditating and reflecting, going, Lord, what, what would you have me to say <laughs> as this next year is unfolding? What, what is the message that you want to give to people? And Honestly, the Lord led me back to one of the sermons that he preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's probably not the very first sermon that he preached, but it's his most famous. And one of his uh, followers, one of his disciples, Matthew, recorded that uh, sermon. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5. And what I'd like to do this morning is just take a look at the first opening part of that sermon. That's all we're going to look at it today. And it's referred to as the Beatitudes. Because when Jesus started preaching this sermon, I want to give you a little bit of a backdrop of the setting. He had begun to do some miracles. He had been doing some teaching. He had been getting people's attention. His reputation had begun to spread. People who were ill, he was healing People who were blind were beginning to see as they were touched and ministered to by him, so word of mouth spread. And obviously, because he was doing these things, people wanted to hear what he had to say. And so, as the crowds began to gather, and he was getting ready to address now this growing crowd that had come to hear what he had to say, Matthew records this, and again, it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And the beginning part of it is called the Beatitudes because he used a word at the beginning of each statement in the opening of his sermon that means blessed or happy, if you would translate that into English. And there's a Latin word that we get, the, the word Beatitudes, um, we call this opening part of his sermon the Beatitudes because that's a Latin word that means blessed or happy. But what I want us to think about today as we listen to this, because if you've grown up in church or if you've been in church a while, the danger is you can become so familiar with something that's in the Bible that you almost just glaze over and you don't really listen to what God is speaking through this. And that was my concern about speaking on this today, though I haven't preached on this topic really very often in my 20 years of ministry here as far as this particular section. But rather than calling it the Beatitudes, what I'm calling it this morning is the Attitudes. Because it really does deal with the attitudes that we have about God and about ourselves and about each other. And this is what Jesus was addressing with the crowd. Now here's another thing that we need to understand when Jesus brought this message. He was born as a Jewish person though he was God in the flesh, 
God had promised the nation of Israel that there would come a Messiah who would come into their country and be raised as one of their own countrymen and who would establish their kingdom. And at the time when Jesus brought this message, Rome was the world power at that time, and the nation of Israel was actually under Roman rule and government. And they didn't like that government. And so a lot of the people in the nation of Israel were excited because they heard of this one now who is performing miracles. He's teaching the things of God. Surely this is the one who is going to raise up politically and help us to be a blessed and a happy nation now because God is fulfilling his promises for us. And the reason I want you to hear this is because there are many of us in America today or in the world today that are thinking if we just had the right leader in office, if we just had the right person in office, if it would just be this party that could control all the things, it would just be so much better in America and we would be happy. So think of it, when Jesus gets ready to address this crowd who was unhappy with the Roman government, they were unhappy with their situations in life, he chooses to speak on the things that you're about to hear, and it was not at all what the people expected to hear. Because Jesus was addressing a heart issue with all of us. No matter what your nationality, your race, your culture, your social status. He wanted to bring a word that is for everyone, regardless of the time period you live in. And this is why I believe today, if Jesus were here in America today, getting ready to address the crowd, he wouldn't talk about Republicans or Democrats, he wouldn't talk about the things that we would expect him to talk about. He would say the very same thing to us today that he said to them back then. And so I hope that we will listen. Because Jesus talked a lot about our attitudes as people. Your attitude is the way that you view yourself. It's the way you view life. It's how you kind of think about life in general and how you approach life, your attitude affects your behavior and your behavior really does affect your future. And that's why he taught regularly about it. And so let's take a look at what Jesus says about the attitudes that we ought to have. Matthew chapter five, verse one. Now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. People were not at all expecting him to say these things. They were expecting to hear Jesus say, Blessed are you of the nation of Israel, for I have come to lead you out of bondage of Roman government, and I've come to set up a kingdom now, and I've come to fulfill all the promises. He could have said that because he did ultimately come to do that, and he will ultimately do that, but that's not how he started out his sermon. He didn't say, blessed are those of you who think you're spiritually superior for yours is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? You see, the things that Jesus mentioned about mourning and hungering and thirsting, those are not things that we think make us happy. Those are things that we want to avoid so we can be happy. But Jesus said it's all about the attitude and what you're hungering for and what you're mourning for and what your attitude is about yourself and about God and about others. And that's why he said if you have the right attitude, even when you hear these words and these things that sound bad, ultimately there is a good outcome if you have the right attitude. Because the outcomes are these things, the kingdom of heaven. The family of God, mercy, comfort, and rewards. So again, it starts with an attitude about yourself. Again, heaven is not for people who think they are spiritually enlightened and superior. Heaven is for broken people. Heaven is for people who are poor in spirit. Think about the word poor. Let's just think about it in practical terms, everyday terms. When someone is poor financially, they do not have the monetary resources to really even have their needs met. They don't have the money to buy clothing or food or shelter on a regular basis. We think about people who are homeless, and there's various causes for homelessness. My point is, we understand poverty in some ways when it comes to physical things. So what did Jesus mean when he said poor in spirit? Well, in the same way, let's translate that. Poor in spirit means you come to a right understanding of yourself that spiritually speaking, you are absolutely destitute. You have no resources within you to approach God, to enter into heaven, you have no spiritual resources that you might have what you need spiritually. You are totally dependent on the kindness of someone else. And that kindness of someone else is God. 
And that's why Jesus said, you're blessed and happy if you come to a point in your attitude that you understand this about yourself, of how spiritually bankrupt you are and you're not all that and you haven't figured it all out and you don't have all the answers and you cry out to God and you say, God, I need you. You're blessed in that moment because that is the attitude that God will bless and it's in that moment that he'll come to your aid and he says, I love you and I've got all the resources you need and I want you to trust in me. That's why Jesus said we're blessed if we're poor in spirit. And that blessing is it opens up the kingdom of heaven for us. Not only in the future, but we can experience his kingdom resources and living now. The next attitude that Jesus said, which kind of falls in line with being poor in spirit, is he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Everybody mourns at some point in their life about something. Oftentimes it's after a death of a loved one, of course. We feel that sense of loss. We feel that grief. But we mourn about other things. There's people that mourn about the loss of a job or the loss of a relationship, whether it's a marital relationship or a, uh, other kinds of relationships that we get into. We mourn the fact that we don't have the job we'd like to have or the position we'd like to have. We mourn the fact that maybe we didn't get into the college that we wanted to or we were denied something in some way and we mourn over that. We mourn that we don't have a big enough house or we don't have the right kind of car or the right things that we want to entertain us. And Jesus said, that's the wrong attitude. You're mourning for the wrong things. You need to learn what proper things to mourn about. And what God wants us to mourn about is a world that is out of sync with God and his spirit. And it's got to start with a mourning in your own life about yourself. I mean, are you happy with yourself and do you think you're all that spiritually? Or do you have a spirit of mourning and, and grieving and saying, you know what? I just, Lord, I still feel like I'm, I'm not quite right with you, but I want to be. I want to be. And you know what Jesus says? That's the right attitude to have because if you mourn in that way, God will comfort you. He will come to you in your mourning and he will reassure you and he will comfort you and he will help you. And he will do it not only in this life, but in the life to come. You see, God is aware of those who mourn for the right things in the world that we ought to be mourning for concerning God and those that mourn for the wrong things, which are ultimately selfish things and temporary things. In fact, the, the Bible refers, the Apostle Peter refers to a man in the Old Testament named Lot who made a choice with his life that he was going to live near the city. He could have lived every, anywhere he wanted to in this land. He was going with his uncle, Abraham. And we'll get into the whole story. You can read about it. But basically, Lot made a choice, and he said, I want to go live near the city. And I want to go live near Sodom and Gomorrah because that's a happening place. There's a lot going on there. I want to be part of the action. So he moves his family near this city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But as he lives there, over the course of time, he begins to realize, wow, these people here are really not honoring God and they really don't even care about God and they're living life their own way and they're doing things that God says is absolutely wrong. And it began to affect him. 
And then he began to regret his choice. And that really is a metaphor. I mean, this is an actual story, but it's a metaphor for us today, is it not? I mean, how many of you have made choices in your life where you wanted to do something or get near something that you thought was really cool and it was, it was where it was happening and what would make you happy? And then after you got near it or in the midst of it, you realized, what in the world have I done? Can I get an amen, anyone? So you see how the scriptures address the issues that we face in our lives no matter where we live or what period of time we live in. So Lot began to regret the choice that he made and he began to mourn over it. The Apostle Peter writes about this. It's in 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 6 through 9. I don't have it on the screen. It's not in your notes. Jot it down. Read it later. But I want to read it to you now. Peter says, if God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, okay, I'm going to stop right there. Let's just stop right there. So part of having the right attitude about God and about the world and about yourself is that God is not a warm, fuzzy God who doesn't care what you do and you can live however you want and you can spit in his face or you can deny him and you can live life how you want and just say, God, I don't care about you and I don't care what your word says. I'm going to live life my way. The Bible clearly says that that's the wrong attitude and judgment is coming on those who have that attitude. And this is why Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are poor in spirit, because they don't make excuses to God, and they're not denying Him, and they acknowledge that He is their Creator, and He is a God of judgment and justice. That is part of the gospel message. It's not a part that we like to hear, and I don't like preaching about it and proclaiming it, but it is the truth. And more and more, as time goes on, and as we're moving through this time in history, not only American history, but world history, I'm here to tell you on the authority of the Word of God that judgment is coming. And if you want to truly be blessed and happy beyond the temporary things of this life and have an eternal blessing, then you need to have the right attitude about your sin and about what's right and wrong and get yourself lined up with Christ and with His Word. That's where you're truly going to be blessed and find eternal happiness. So Peter, listen, did you hear what Peter said? If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, we better pay attention. But it doesn't stop there, because I just wanted to drive that point home. Now let's go on in verse 7 and listen. It says, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless... For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. What's that got to do with what I just said? Remember I said that Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. You see, Lot learned a hard lesson. After he got in with what he thought was going to be cool and good, and he realized this is not leading to happiness at all, and it's affecting my family, what have I done? I got I to gotta get out of here. Well, the good news is because Lot started mourning for the right things and he started grieving because of the ungodliness he saw, God delivered him. God comforted him. God brought him out 
of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God judged Sodom and Gomorrah. If you want to be blessed, you need to learn what to mourn for. Instead of celebrating your sin and the sin in the world, instead of celebrating what the scripture says is wrong, and you just spitting in God's face and saying, I don't care what the scripture says because everybody else says it's okay and God just needs to get with the times and the Bibles and the preachers just need to get with the times because we're all that, you are going to be judged. And I'm speaking this from God, not from Mark Eaton, because I stand with you under that condemnation. But I'm learning to mourn that in my life and that which I see in the world. Lot began to mourn and grieve, and so God spared him and comforted him and brought him out of the judgment that he poured on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, unfortunately, Lot's wife, as they were leaving, she looked back. And I know we can read the story and we kind of make fun of it, and, well, she looked back and God turned her into a pillar of salt. Here's the teaching in that. When she looked back, it wasn't just because she was curious or scared and, and she wanted to, you know, kind of see what God was doing. I truly believe that her looking back was she was mourning for the wrong thing. She was like feeling the pull of like, oh my gosh, we're leaving our home. We're leaving everything that's familiar. and We're going into this unknown and we may be living up in a cave somewhere and all my stuff is back here. And her heart was drawn to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah fell on her. This is a warning, church. It's a warning, people, to learn to have the right attitude about sin in your life and in the world. And instead of celebrating and rejoicing it, we need to mourn for it and call out to God. When you know that God has the final say, it should change your attitude about these things and also about meekness. That's why this next statement that Jesus said was this. Because you see, the world views meekness as weakness. Jesus disagrees. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, we say, oh, it's the strong and mighty that are going to be the winners. It's the ones who uh, work for perfection. It's the ones who work the hardest. They win in the end. It's the ones that uh, you know, are popular and, and everything else. They are the ones that are going to win in the end. And Jesus says, not so. It's the humble and the meek that actually are going to have the final ruling and reigning and inheritance of the earth because they've trusted God and God has set up his kingdom rule. You see, meekness means mildness and disposition. It means gentleness of spirit. It means enduring injury and patience, pa injury with patience and without resentment. Uh, the opposite of meekness is arrogance. So again, meekness and humility go together. It also means this. It means a willingness to submit to a chain of command. And that's difficult for many of us as individuals and even here in America because, you know, we're so independent. But God has taught us that we need to respond to a chain of command. And since he is the one who created us, he is the ultimate commander. He's the one that we ought to reverence and respect and obey. And in fact, God modeled this for us through his son Christ. 
Now, I know this is a mystery, this whole idea of the triune nature of God. I've explained this many times. I'll do it again today to me to help my little puny mind comprehend the triune nature of God, how God can be three and yet one, not three individual persons, one God existing eternally as three persons. I think of a three-leaf clover. And so I think of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, And I think of that moment when God who created all this, he leaves the glories of heaven, so it's like one of those leaves comes off, so to speak, enters into this world through a woman's womb, through a miraculous birth, becomes a human being, flesh and bone. He's still God, but he's now taken on flesh. Here's God still in heaven, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And what does Jesus do when he comes? He says, I'm submitting to the Father. He is showing us a chain of command and respect that even though Jesus was all powerful and he created the world, he could have done whatever he wanted. He was teaching us as human beings, you need to submit to a chain of authority. That's what meekness is. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. And it's making the right kind of choices with your life. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus had power over nature. He had power over disease. He had power over death. And yet he was meek. Don't believe it? Listen to his own words. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle. That word that we translate into English as gentle, it's meek. It means meek. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know what that phrase lowly in heart means? Poor in spirit mournful oh my gosh the very two things that jesus opens up his sermon by saying we're blessed if we're poor in spirit and if we mourn for the right things jesus says this is what i'm doing here on this earth i am gentle and humble in heart i'm mourning for the sins of the world and i'm here to do something about it and i'm giving my life for you and he says if you'll come to me you will find rest for your soul That is a happiness and a blessedness that the world cannot give. So Jesus said that those who have the right attitude about their position under God's authority and the fact that he has the final say are the ones that are truly going to be blessed. Then Jesus moves in to another attitude that we have, and that's the attitude about our desires. He says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled and it's interesting isn't it because I want to ask you a question what do you hunger and thirst for because most of us hunger and thirst obviously for food and drink but beyond that what do you hunger and thirst for in the world do you hunger and thirst again for money sure a lot of people do a better job power position all of these things these are things that we desire strongly that's what to hunger and thirst means is you desire it strongly you're driven to it and Jesus says though that is an attitude of the world if you really want to be blessed you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness righteousness is a right standing with God it's a it's a strong desire to be right with God and to help others want to be right with God And it's a strong desire for justice and doing what is right. So what are you hungry for? What are you spending your time and energy to pursue? In your daily pursuits and your activities. You know, there is a lot of talk uh, 
and a lot of action in America today about social justice issues. And those are important. Some would say, well, I hunger and thirst for righteousness, so I'm fighting for these social justice issues. But social justice issues, trying to solve them without including God's justice, it's never going to work. It is never going to work because all you're doing is taking your political viewpoint or your ideology and you're trying to solve a problem when it's the God who created you that needs to have his justice dealt with in your life and you with him. And then when we begin to get right with God and hunger and thirst for being right with God, things will begin to get better in us getting right with each other. Again, no matter your race, no matter your sexuality, no matter your social class, social issues, social justice issues cannot be solved without God's justice being included. And that brings me to the next point that Jesus made that falls right in line with this because one of God's characteristics that balances out his justice is his mercy. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now let me ask you this question. What is your attitude toward those who offend you? What is your attitude toward those who offend you? Politically? Morally? Socially? For a lot of you that are on social media, I could get that answer real easy. All I got to do is check out what you post. <laughs> And sometimes we come about, we feel so strongly about our position or our stance. And we want to see justice done. But sometimes, even though we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and we want the right thing to happen, sometimes we go about it in the wrong way and we reject mercy. And we're not as merciful as we should be to other people. And that's why Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy means compassion and forbearance, especially shown to somebody who is somehow indebted to you or uh, under your uh, power. And the blessing is if we will give mercy to those who maybe don't deserve it, God says, I'll be merciful to you. Do you realize that forgiveness, really that ties in with mercy, is the one thing that there is a condition on in the Bible that Jesus teaches about, if you want to be forgiven by God, you need to be forgiving toward others. Don't believe me? Here, as Jesus in this sermon is preaching, and it goes on into Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about prayer, and he's teaching us the way to pray, and I'll pick it up at verse 12. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What, what if God forgave you the way you're forgiving other people? I mean, if you're still holding a grudge or hatred in your heart to, towards somebody that's done something wrong for you, do you realize that that's something that you need to have God help you deal with in your life? And again, we can be honest about it. That's what we need to do. We need to be honest with God and say, God, I, I, you know I'm struggling in this area. I know I need to forgive this person, but I'm really having a hard time and I can't do it on my own. I need your help. I believe God will answer that kind of a prayer because that's being poor in spirit. And it's mourning for the right thing. You're mourning about your 
an inability to forgive and you're wanting God to help you with that. Listen to what Jesus says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That makes me shake in my shoes. I mean, that really makes me think. Because Jesus is the one that said this. This wasn't Mark Eaton. This wasn't some philosopher. This wasn't some psychiatrist. This was the one who died on the cross for your sins and my sins. And what he is saying is, if you expect to receive forgiveness from God and all of the things, your wrong attitudes and your poor spirit and all of those things, if you are willing to receive that forgiveness from God and then you won't offer it to someone else, who in the world do you think you are? You're not right with God yet. You're not where you need to be. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to challenge you to confront what it is in your life and the attitudes of your life and my life that we need to align with God in 2021 and as we prepare for whatever God has in store in this year, bad or good. And then Jesus sets the standard really high when he says this next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I mean, I, I read that and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm undone. I have no chance. <laughs> I got no shot at seeing God. Because my heart is not pure. I mean, I want it to be. And I don't want to have sometimes the thoughts that I have and the desires and all those things that I have, but I'm honest, my heart is not pure. So I, gotta, I get challenged with this. And again, Jesus is setting the standard high because he's saying, don't think that you're all that. Again, you've got to be poor in spirit and you've got to mourn for the right things and you've got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you do all these things and you're trusting me and you just adjust your attitude to where it's all on me and none of you, maybe then we're starting to get to a point where our heart becomes pure. And I will say this, we have purity of our spirit because of the blood of Christ, because the gospel says, the apostle John says this in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but then in verse 9 he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There you go. I get a pure heart by allowing Christ to work in me and his blood and his spirit to cover and cleanse me. And that's why I need Jesus. And whether you know it or not, you need him too. And that's why we talk so much about him around here. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I would love to be able to see the one who created me. And I'm not talking about my parents. <laughs> I would love to see the one who created my soul. I long for that. And if you don't long for that, I hope that you will because he loves you and he's made a way possible. So I wrap this up and Jesus wraps up this opening statement by saying, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the children of God. In this world, we think that peace will come through strength and through war. And again, there, there's, a, there's valid strategies of peace through strength. I get that. I don't want to get into this political stuff. But again, I'm talking about heart issues. 
but we want to win because we want to defeat somebody else and then that way we have the power but Jesus says if you really want to be happy instead of trying to win all these wars just be a peacemaker work toward things of peace peace with God first of all you and God and then helping others to experience that peace with God through sharing the gospel that's how you're truly going to be blessed and fulfilled so a peacemaker is someone who works for there to be a secession of animosity and anger, at least a laying down of arms so that there could be rest. And, you know, sometimes we don't get to reconciliation, but at least we can get to a point of peace where people stop fighting. But then if you can move from being a, being a peacemaker to actually helping people to reconcile, that's awesome. But Jesus is making the point, you may not be successful in your peacemaking, but you'll be blessed in attempting it. And God honors that because he is a peacemaker. He sent his son into the world to make peace between you and him and me and him through his son Christ. And the blessing is if we will do the work of peacemaking in the world and let it begin in our families. As a counselor, I counsel many people and often that's the biggest place where there's conflict. There's not peace in family relationships. There's not peace sometimes in the church. And I'm thankful for the church here at Porterfield. We've had our conflicts, and, and we still do. But as a pastor, my goal is to be a peacemaker in the church because God has called us to minister to all people and to consider all viewpoints. We can't make everybody happy. I know that. But the Scripture says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So even as we move forward, as we've gone through 2020 and everybody's crazy opinions about masks and what we ought to do and not do and being criticized and all over, we're just forging ahead and we're trusting God. I'm going to work for the things that make for peace. And I'm just trusting that God's going to guide us through in that way. So if you have a heart for wanting to be a peacemaker and you've been looking for a church that wants to be a peacemaker in the right kind of way, well, then maybe this is a place for you. But again, not because we think we're all that. We're just simply trying to be poor in spirit and follow Christ. But if we will do that, we'll be recognized as children of God. And the last thing then, which is the craziest thing Jesus said, sorry, Lord. <laughs> but I mean, it is, it's crazy in the world's way of thinking. He said, blessed and happy are you if you're persecuted. What? If you are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Imagine Jesus said this before social media. He said this before Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All of the ways in the world now that people hurl their insults and their persecution and their put-downs, not only of each other, but especially of followers of Jesus, I think Jesus spoke that then because he knew that this would be now. And so this, again, is why I believe Jesus would have spoken this same sermon today just like he did back then. So don't be discouraged and don't cower in fear and be afraid if someone makes fun of you for actually believing in Jesus and calling sin, sin and not going with the popular thought to be popular and liked by everybody 
with all the sexual stuff that's going on and the redefining of genders and all of that, don't be deceived and don't get caught up in it. You stand for Jesus. You mourn for the right things. You be poor in spirit and you will get persecuted. You will be canceled because people don't want to hear it. But Jesus still wants us to stand for it because when we stop standing for it, the end will come because there's no faith left in this world. So I hope this speaks encouragement into your heart because Jesus said, blessed are you when people say evil things about you. And we're living in a day and time when people call evil good and good evil. I'm going to be bringing a message later this month because one of the things that's troubled me in 2020 is all this talk of the concern of the deaths and oh my goodness, how many people have died from COVID? And it is a terrible thing. And for years, abortion has slaughtered millions and millions of our children, our sons and our daughters. And not a word is said. People stand up for it. And they champion it. And they say it's a woman's right. Oh, but COVID deaths are terrible. Are we not living in a mixed up world? And you know what? I'm going to be persecuted for being this passionate about what I, about I just said. I'm going to be persecuted because people will say, I can't believe you, Pastor. There's women out there that have committed abortions, and I just can't believe that you're that heartless and that you would be that cold and cruel. Well, I want you to know, we work with the Women's Care Center. We care about women that have made that terrible choice. We care about women that have been raped. We care about women that have been seduced and impregnated without them really realizing it. We care about that. We care about them. We do. But we also care about that life that was formed in their womb and two wrongs don't make a right. And we understand it's scary if you're pregnant and you're young. And that's why there are ministries in the world in the love of Jesus wanting to reach out with compassion. Oh, I didn't plan to go there today, but it's obvious God wanted somebody to hear that. And I needed to say it. Because this is the fact of what I'm saying in the world. When we stand up for the right things, you're going to be persecuted, but you stand anyway. You can be gentle and meek, but you can speak the truth in love. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, because when you do that, your reward in heaven is great. Not just a little bit, but it is great, because you stood in the face of opposition and you spoke true truth to power. I get so tired of hearing that phrase by people who think they are so bold because they speak to a politician. Let's speak truth to power. Jesus Christ is speaking truth to power, and it's the power of Satan in your life. And it is time for you to wake up and stop being deceived and turn to Christ. Have an attitude adjustment that's why he started this sermon with the attitudes. And you have a chance today to respond to him and let him change your heart because that's the way you're going to experience a blessed 2021 and not only a blessed year and a happy year, but a happy life no matter what suffering and difficulty you go through. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your word because, Lord, if I didn't have your word, I'd have nothing to say today. It would just be my thoughts or somebody's theory. But, Jesus, these are your words. 
And I thank you, Jesus, that you spoke these words so long ago, but you knew and you know that these words still apply and they are for us today. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that your Holy Spirit has used me today to communicate your words once again afresh and anew to this generation and to this time. Forgive us, Lord, for our wrong attitudes about you and about each other and about sin. Forgive us when we've not been merciful. Forgive us when we've not hungered and thirst for the right things. Forgive us when we've been mourning for the things of this world rather than mourning for you. So, Lord Jesus, help us to hear your voice, open our heart, and to do as you offered. Help us to come to you because we are weary and we're heavy burdened and we need rest for our souls. And I thank you that you, Lord, are humble and gentle, even though you are powerful. And you will receive us if we'll just adjust our attitude. So help us to humble ourselves before you and to trust you as our Savior. And then give us strength, Lord, to follow you as Lord. So I pray right now, if there's anyone listening to this message who hasn't opened their life to you, I pray in this moment right now, Lord, you help them to just pray and ask for forgiveness and ask you to come into their life. And then help them, Lord, to forgive those that have hurt them. And Lord, for those of us who have trusted you and are trusting you, thank you for your forgiveness and grace and help us to be faithful. No matter what comes, help us to be faithful and to always stand for you that your light would shine forth and your truth would be heard in your precious name.